0: Hello, you well-balanced podients. like having a well-balanced PH in your system. Well-balanced pottyants. I like the sound of that. I hope your internal clock is set to awake, and you sit with an anticipation that quakes. We have made it to 30 F-Stars, full-blown, take-no-prisoners episodes, 30, 30. I cannot endure a milestone such as 30 without presenting you with some convenient trivia pertaining to the significance of a 3 followed by a 0. Affinity Numerology Number 30 Meaning The numerology number 30 represents highly creative and social energies. I definitely consider myself to be creative, social at times. 30 resonates with optimism. It can be thought of as a limitless 3. The creative digit 3 followed by the unlimited digit 0. 30 is imaginative. It's an effective communicator. Ah, this sounds familiar. It's tolerant, joyful, and dynamic. This sounds like the lyrics to a song. I like that. The number 30 tends to be enthusiastic about other artist works. I can tell you now as a teaser that will come into play later. The meaning of the number 30. Now remember, I am no Bible thumper, but I can't deny where 30 has significant relevance in history. Part of the meaning of the number 30 comes from its symbolizing dedication to a particular task or calling. For me, for falsetto prophet here, that task slash calling is you, audience, and entertaining, informing, and educating you along the way. Priests were initially dedicated to serving at 30 years of age. They were likely chosen at 30 because that was when a person reached both physical and mental maturity and could therefore handle major responsibilities I believe it's hilarious that 30 was the number then, but you're considered an adult at 18 now. That is absolutely insane. John the Baptist, who was of priestly descent, began his ministry at 30. At 30, Christ began to publicly preach the gospel. This is where things get interesting. It can also represent the sacrificial blood of Jesus, as he was betrayed by Judas for 30 silver coins. When Judas flung the blood money, the 30 coins, The priests did not accept it as an offering, but they decided to buy a potter's field with it. For today, we will discuss little about enthusiasm for other artists' work, but much more enthusiasm for how managers can be similar to Judas. But instead of betraying you over 30 sullied pieces of silver, they betray you in other ways, more methodical ways. They sealing your own success and cap your growth, all for them to grip and hold close the Illusion of Career Safety. Welcome, you podcasting fiends, to Chapter 30, White Collar, Black Belt, Professional Discourtesy, when m and sealing your success and cap your growth. As it has been a running custom for me to introduce quotes that are not my own, I see no reason to break or breach custom now. Here are some quotes, and if you pay attention, you might discover that some of the quotes are in fact my own. This was just a hilarious dialogue between Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson in this great film, this great crime drama film, Drag Across Concrete. Brett Richmond is played by Mel Gibson, and Anthony Lorisetti is played by Vince Vaughn. So Brett says, is that a guy or a girl singing that song? Can't tell. Not that there's much of a difference these days. I think that line was obliterated the day men started saying, we're pregnant when their wives were I'll say it now, I've said it before, I will continue to say it. If you're a man, act like a man. If you're a woman, be a woman. But this confusion does nobody any F-stars favors. Be manly, be feminine, everybody knows their place, and it's great. There's no reason to add confusion to the mix. It is a curious thing about degenerate mammals. Whatever knowledge they have of your shortcomings, they launch against you. If none can be uncovered, then you're accused of living too righteously, falsetto prophet. There's a scene in the X-Files, a great sci-fi show of yore. So Walter Skinner, now Walter Skinner, as I've mentioned in a prior episode, is a great M&M or middle manager. He takes his job seriously, but he also can show empathy and compassion for those under him. He's talking to Agent Scully. Agent Scully, may I have a word with Agent Mulder, please? She then leaves the room. Now Skinner talking to Fox Mulder. Fox, you are one of the finest, most unique agents in the nearly 60 year history of this institution. I mean, we were talking about you when you were in the academy. Now most of us, including the director, feel that your talents are wasted on the X-Files. But we respect that you're deeply invested in those areas. But if these areas are creating such stress as to not only to cause you to act inappropriately, but those agents close to you as well, then may I advise you to step away for a while, clear your head, take an extended vacation. Fox responds, That's a good idea. Thanks for your concern. Point being, here's a manager who is able to act very professional and extend every professional courtesy, even when he's asking something slightly undesirable of one of his underlings. I had a two-on-one at my former company where I had my version of Skinner and Skinner's boss, and it was absolutely terrible. I was told things like, Wow, you're a sharp dresser. Oh, did you want to get off of this committee that you've been on for four and a half years? Yeah, we're going to need you to stay on that, because you signed, quote-unquote, a contract of sorts. You know what, if you really respect me, why don't you pay me more? Why don't you not give me the 2% raise that you claim is the max I can get because my salary has put me at a ceiling because I'm in the top bracket of that salary bracket. Are you F-stars kidding me? Physical scars. That moment when you say to yourself, F-stars, that will leave a scar. I think the same occurrence applies to emotional scars as well. It is pivotal to recognize those acts and not let them dictate the duration of your days. Falsetto Prophet. I've mentioned this before, but there was this set of rules called the rules of civility, which George Washington followed to a T. I'm going to go over a couple of those rules, and you tell me if this sounds familiar, like something that is actually occurring at work or if it's neglected altogether. Rule number five. If you cough, sneeze, sigh, or yawn, do it not loud, but privately. And speak not in your yawning, but put your handkerchief, I'm sure nobody knows what a handkerchief is today, of hand before your face and turn aside. Do you remember? The 7 Deadly Synergy Session audience, whooping Coffee Clatch, I can tell you that the sphere of influenza is very real, and I believe, wholeheartedly, that one of the chief reasons that the Kung Flu virus spread with such speed and dexterity is because people are generally rude and disgusting. They don't cover their mouth when they cough, they don't turn their head to the side when they sneeze. People are disgusting, and I think it should be mandatory that these rules of civility are followed in the workplace. Rule number 11, shift not yourself in the sight of others, nor gnaw your nails. Hands, potience Remember that Robert De Niro quote from that movie Great Expectations? He said it's bull stars that eyes are the window to the soul. He said it's a gentleman's hands. Hands, that is the sign of a gentleman. Don't bite your nails, and if you do bite your nails, do it privately. Don't do it in front of 15 F-stars people. If there was an attractive person, and I don't care if they are Kim Kardashian and her prime attractive, if she's over there biting her nails... She has no confidence. I have no time for her. Also, I'll tell you something else. People that change their look like every couple of days, whether it's females painting their nails a different nail polish color every 24 to 48 hours, or putting a different color streak in their hair every week, or guys who are constantly doing different things with their face and hair, that's fine. It's your body. You have autonomy. But in a bigger sense, have you not yet found what look works for you? What look extracts the highest amount of compliments and the most frequent looks and stares? from attractive people in the world? Find your look and stick with it. Stop with the wishy-washiness. Okay, so here's a story about professional discourtesy. We got a new boss, Old Tadpole, years ago, and with him came the rats. We got a rat infestation in the office where these rat critters were climbing into people's desks. They were getting into any and all food and other places. We had this thing called the snack room that was on your way out of the office space, and it had been around for years. And it was on the honor system. This very sweet lady, we'll just call her Bar Bar, she ran the snack room with simply funds that were received from people who purchased snacks for very cheap. You could get a Snickers bar or a Coca-Cola or whatever for like 50 cents or something like that. What a vending machine should actually be charging you, right? This went on for years. Well, as soon as Tad took the helm and took over our office, he claimed that there were rats and that they needed to shut down the snack room immediately because that was what was leading to the rat infestation. Like somehow sealed cans of soda and water bottles and granola bars that are completely sealed in their wrapping, like that is contributing to the rat problem. The true culprit of the rats was Tad himself. He is the rat king, circa Nutcracker. This guy clearly was disgusting. Now, I don't know if he didn't bathe or if he just had a sullied soul, but these rats came with Tad. Now, in shutting down the snack room, that was not very courteous. That was discourteous. It was rude to Barbar, who's one of the sweetest ladies I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. The other reason given was because, well, the building has these vending machines, and they are entitled to make money on these vending machines, so this snack room is directly competing with that. You know what? F stars you. Why should we be forced to get these overpriced, stale snacks in these vending machines, or go down to the cafeteria, which serves disgusting, overpriced slop as well? Don't force us to buy your overpriced crap. Let the market dictate what the market's going to do. I was furious that that snack room was shut down because it was helping people. It was serving a purpose. And in the end, all Tack could think about was his own flat, disgusting A-stars. Also, the M&Ms did not give a shiz about the rats until a manager, Freck, found one in her own F-stars desk. A violent, Alfred Hitchcock-esque scream followed. And then, once the manager realized that there was feces and urination all over her belongings in her drawer, then traps were laid. It's ironic to me that the gnawing, cheese-eating, rapidly scurrying down the rows Tad was the one who arrived when the rats suddenly did, one after the other, in succession. Does that make Tad the rat king? It's ironic. Okay, that is not really good irony. Irony is ordering kamikazes on Pearl Harbor Day at a bar. Something i do. Laughter is key, whether sour taste, sweet, or poor taste. Laughter is medicinal. We have talked about the healing effects of laughter, dear listeners. You know, those Japs were tough. This cannot be denied. And to say Japs instead of Japanese is not inflammatory. It is simply efficient. Are British life forms called Brits? Canadians Canucks? Australians Aussies? I rest my god D-Star's case. It was a compliment, sheeple. For those of you who suffer a pseudo-midlife crisis every time someone says something, that is even a scintilla insensitive. My base audience has thick F-Stars skin. Don't be sheeple, people. Be your own F-Stars dog. Woof! Now, Vic Mackey. Vic Mackey has a great exchange in that cop TV drama, The Shield, when he's talking to Claudette Wims. So if you think about it, he is the protagonist, and in a way, she is the antagonist. Now, check out the professional courtesy that is shown here. Vic says to Claudette, who he does not like, you better figure out how much you hate me and how you're going to deal with that, because I'm not going anywhere. Neither am I. Honesty, audience. Giving a colleague honesty is a sign of professional courtesy, not professional discourtesy. Letting them know where they stand with you. I wish I had told Pinkerton in no uncertain terms where I stood with her and where she stood with me because of the society that we live in today. You can't say anything to anyone, lest you suffer a witch hunt and a burning at the stake. There's something wrong with your character if opportunity controls your loyalty. Harvey Specter, from that great legal drama show, Suits. Word of the Day. Now, I wanted to perform originally a Word of the Day every day with these episodes. But I use such a specific and present gamut of words, being a wordsmith after all, I would find that to be overmuch. I do make exception for this word today. It is far too good to pass over. The word is ennui. E-N-N-U-I. So that's Echo, November, November, Umbrella, India. Ennui, a feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation or excitement. Does this sound like you, dear listeners, at your current workplace, station, in life? If you are experiencing prolonged bouts of ennui, maybe it's time to leave. On to middle managers and their sealing your success, and capping your growth. My advice to these managers, teach one how to fish. And handle their own claims. If you teach a bird how to grab its own prey, the bird can leave the F-star's nest. But what our middle managers did at the bomb shelter, they would masticate the food and then regurgitate the food into our mouths like we were chicks in the nest. We were defenseless. We couldn't think for ourselves. Our middle managers regurgitated the food into our mouths and did not let us learn to kill prey on our own. You know what that does? It makes us forever dependent on the middle managers, on their assumptions, on their approaches. We are unable to sustain ourselves, and the middle managers want it that way, because the middle managers are looking after their own job security. Think about it. You're a middle manager. Maybe you have a family. Now, Camo doesn't have a family, because Camo is a cannibal and he eats people. But most managers have families. They have children. They have pets. They have appointments, expectations. They have a mortgage. They want to have job security. If anything threatens their job security, you are in a world of hurt if you are seen as a combatant to them. Now, you may be only guilty of doing your job extremely well. The problem, though, is when you work for a company, as I did, that breeds fear and operates solely on fear, as though it's a prerequisite for employment there. These managers are so afraid that their daily life is going to become disrupted. They, if you work really well and you seem like you do not need them, like you're able to operate with autonomy and you don't come to them a lot with questions or needs, To me, that makes you a good employee as long as you're doing your work well. But to these middle managers, you are a threat to their very existence because they are operating out of fear and they have to constantly essentially reapply for their position to their manager, old tadpole. They have to show how they killed the food, masticated the food, and then spit the food back up into their chicks' mouths. If they say, I trained 10 chicks to fly with might and kill with guile, guess what? They're probably out of a job because all they have to do is say, "Well, it doesn't sound like you're needed. It doesn't sound like your position is worthwhile or facilitating any obvious job requirement." I kid you not. I know this is how some of those managers think and how they operate. Fear-led managers do not want to teach people how to fish to sustain their sense of job security. This is a fatal flaw. I think of Camo, one of my old supervisors, Camo, talking to Tad at the end of the year. And he would say for him to get a pat on the back or for him to get a little bit more money with his annual bonus, he would say, my peers are very dependent on me. This is improper. My boy Lambro had an example where this poor woman who is like homeless living out of her car. I think she tried to start a fire in the woods to stay warm or something for the winter. And that fire spread and burned down this nearby home. Okay. The woman's homeless, or she's at least living out of her car, which I guess serves as a home, but she ain't paying no electricity or heating for that car. The point is, his manager, the same manager, who cannot make decisions to save his life, couldn't just say, yes, let's just close down the file. Because I believe the file was a higher dollar amount, which meant that it was above his authority. Instead of just doing the obvious logical thing and saying, yes, I agree with your assessment, note the file, we're going to close it down. They had to do a conference with old Tadpole. So now it's three of them in a room talking about the value of this claim. And it's like, are you kidding me? Just let the man close the file. Oh, no. We had to talk about, well, are we sure this homeless person is homeless? Are we sure that we couldn't get him to pay in installments of 39 cents for the next 8,000 years? Finally, my boy had to say, you know what? Okay, well, we can't pursue this because she doesn't have any money. It would actually make us look bad in the papers that we're trying to squeeze money out of homeless people. It's just not going to work. And then it's like a last little stab, Julius Caesar style. As my boy was leaving the office, old Tappel had to be like, well, Just so we're clear, it's not that we have a moral obligation to pursue, right? Because she is at fault. We're simply not pursuing her because there's no resources there and we're not going to be able to get any funding from her. Yes? Okay, well, let's make sure we note the file that way. Just that last little flex of his muscle to let everyone know I'm in charge. The moment that you have to remind everyone that you're in charge, you've already lost respect. The grunt is the one who actually forms a bond with the customer. We soldiers were the ones that were actually engaging with customers daily. The M&M proclaims customer service, but their extent of forming lasting bonds with customers is as likely as them forming a bond with your F-star's domesticated pet. These managers are limiting your success at vertical integration or even taking on a position that would be the manager's peer they're reluctant to. They want to keep everyone in their little niche and they want to be left alone. By doing this, they are sealing your own success and they are capping your own growth. Because maybe you want to be a supervisor, or maybe you want to be your boss's boss. While they could be lofty aspirations, can be seen as your own death sentence if you're not careful. I kid you not. Here's an article. Why your high-performing employees may be slowly disengaging from work. By Whitney Johnson. Now, we have been experiencing an extraordinary socioeconomic upheaval. Everyone called it the Great Resignation. Half the American workforce was in the process of looking for a new job. Several still are. Most aren't giving up despite the significant workplace headwinds related to the Kung flu virus. Workers are looking for better work. Now I'm speaking directly to you, audience. They're seeking higher compensation, greater purpose, more flexibility. Now it's my understanding that my former employer has actually finally come around on being more flexible officially. But guess what? Higher compensation, greater purpose. I don't think they will ever really achieve the higher compensation because they're as cheap as cheap comes, but they will definitely never hit the mark of greater purpose. Those of you that I know, my former colleagues and remaining friends, you are not going to achieve greater purpose where you currently are. I can guarantee you that. Individuals want opportunities to grow. They are emboldened to make their own change. Workplace growth is slow as competence is gradually acquired. Now it can be painful and discouraging, and it requires management of those emotions along the way. Everyone feels like a dunce when they're starting out. At least I did. But we talked about imposter syndrome, and like it or not, it is a very... Real thing, even though I vehemently disagree with its origin and why people are taking on that burden themselves, when clearly it's often the cause of outside forces or extraneous or external factors, such as your employer, the way your boss makes you feel, things like this. You have to recognize your own value and your own competence. Your manager may not do that for you. They may not have an interest in doing that because they want to keep everything the homeostasis of their position. As competence increases, we then tip into what's called the sweet spot. Growth becomes rapid, engagement and productivity are high. This is when those light bulbs are flickering in your mind and you're getting new concepts. Well-informed management strategies can extend this valuable phase. Unfortunately, from what I saw, the management strategies were weak, wanting, or non-existent. The subject of this article is the final stage, mastery at the high end of the curve. It's a plateau that then becomes a precipice. It's when you've exhausted the growth experience available on the curve and you start getting bored. This is where an employee who is very good at what they do begins to feel they can't do it anymore. They need a new curve to climb. I was like that, and I know some of you are like that as well. I mean, how could you not be? If you've been in the same position, more or less, for let's say five years or more, you've pretty much, it's like lifting weights when you reach that plateau. You can bench press 200, and then 220, and then 245, and then 247, and then 247 and a half. And then without some sort of additional boost, you've pretty much reached your limit. The same thing applies with your employee and your employer, and the work that you do. You get to a level that you've just reached, okay, I'm no longer being stimulated. Yes, you can say, well, every case is different, or every customer is different, or every claim is different. To me, that's a mild cop-out, because truly, you get into a cookie-cutter pattern to be efficient, and everything starts looking the same. I say, if it can happen to me, and it did happen to me, I needed something new to stimulate myself. Just please be honest with yourself and ask, can I continue to do this for the next 15 years, or is enough enough? Our enjoyment and engagement in any activity is driven by, now I'm get a little scientific here, by neuroscientific processes. Our brains are learning machines. We are learning, our brains are changing. This is called neuroplasticity. Our synapses grow at a rate commensurate with the challenge level in our brains. Our brains continuously running predictive models. When something is new to us, our predictions can be uninformed. When we get it wrong, dopamine drops. If you make a mistake at work and it's a sizable one, you're probably going to feel like shiz. Now, whether you care about the outcome of the company or not, that's immaterial. It's usually because you know there are things at stake, even if that money is not your own. And when you make a mistake, you feel a fool. This this is common. This is normal. When we get what we expect to occur in the output of our actions, the dopamine levels remain, but they remain steady. But when you truly feel happiness is when your expectations are exceeded. Dopamine is released in high doses, kind of like doses of chemohawk. I hope that you get dopamine from this. I hope that it gives you new, fresh perspectives. The problem, though, is I, in the last department I was in, which I was in for over six years, I was never given an exceeds ranking. Therefore, the dopamine levels were just steady at best. But I never got any big doses of the dopamine to make me feel good. All that to say, if you work for a company that doesn't properly value you, you're not going to feel proper amounts of dopamine. So you're not going to get in these high rushes of delight. It's just not going to happen. At the end of the curve, where we are in mastery, our actions are basically automatic at that point. Competence is high, but the brain rewards are low. We're not getting dopamine doses delivered sufficiently to make us feel involved. So when I talk about synergy, to me, that's a huge crux of it. It's feeling like you're involved, like you're truly involved in a bigger scheme or a bigger picture. Your interest at that point is dying. This results in, guess what? Stagnation, lower productivity, and disengagement. It becomes difficult to force yourself to do things we do easily and well. It's nothing more than a reflexive response. No new learning, which is neural rigidity. This is why top performing employees, are you a top performing employee, Podiance, are often the biggest flight risk. It's why the quality of their work may decline. It's like Mark Wahlberg said in that great film, The Other Guys. I'm a peacock. You gotta let me fly. Let your top performers fly, middle managers. Do not, I repeat, do not sealing their success and cap their F stars growth. Stop it. But if you are a top performer, consider leaving Podiance onto bigger, better, richer things. You don't just want a new job, you need one. Hopefully, informed leaders have the early, open, and regular conversations with their reports that help both the M&M and the employee map this process. Lastly, I know this is a lot of research. I appreciate your diehard patience. It says those who last to year 11, when the golden years typically begin, must first survive the death zone of success. For example, this is the peak of a CEO's curve in around the sixth year, often followed by a time of prolonged stagnation and mediocre results. Many CEOs quit or are fired. CEOs only reach the golden years if they deliberately and repeatedly reinvent themselves on new curves of learning. It's funny that it's 11 years, because 11 years is exactly how long I lasted before I pulled the ripcord and jumped from the ship. I guess I was denying myself the golden years. Quotes. Everyone is perfectly willing to learn from unpleasant experience if only the damage of the first lesson could be repaired. Jörg Lichtenberg. I'm personally a moderate and a registered independent, so I'm not strongly Democratic or strongly Republican, Elon Musk. What I like about that, that's professional. That is professional courtesy. Professional courtesy to me. Keep your thoughts, opinions, beliefs, social commentary, and non-workplace philosophies in the F-stars glove compartment when we are in the WC car with you during meetings, one-on-ones, or any workplace interaction. We should not know where you lean on religion. If you believe in God or not, where you sit on the political spectrum, we should not know any of that. As a manager, you are in the position of leading and influencing people, in theory. I am hard on managers because they made a voluntary decision to put themselves in the spotlight. Like a celebrity, you have 10 or more people who are looking to you for advice and guidance. You darn well better F-stars make good F-stars decisions and do not start going down these personal pathways with us when all we need from you is workplace guidance. In this case, I actually embrace extremes. Either we all share whatever the F-stars we want with each other in an open forum marketplace of ideas style, or we keep it business-linked only. As the pendulum has been and remains on the side of the chamber where nobody says anything and we all tiptoe on shells, act accordingly, Mr. Slash Mrs. Professional. Professional courtesy. Do us the courtesy of keeping your opinions that are non-work related to your F-star self. I don't want to know who you voted for, and I don't want to know who you pray to, and I don't want to know where you think or don't think the economy is going in Sri Lanka. I don't care. You are paid to talk about work, not about your personal life. So don't do me the professional discourtesy of putting me in the awkward position of now disliking you or feeling there to be a rift between us because of you opening your flippant mouth, and now I know where you stand on various matters. Keep it to yourself. Again, I say, I am a peacock. You gotta let me fly. Now that movie is chock full of hilarity. Gator don't play. Gators' girls better be wearing jimmies. Oh, thank you Will Ferrell. That was a great comedy. Now, I'm not a big comedy person. I prefer to be taken on long, dramatic journeys of character change and realization that have lasting massive ripples throughout a community or that have lasting consequences for the main character. I like things like The Shield, where most of the comedy is dark comedy, but it's pretty much just a straight up character driven drama. But I do like the occasional comedy. Whether it's The Other Guys or super bad, 21 Jump Street, Knocked Up, Horrible Bosses, Wedding Crasher, Saving Silverman, I do like comedies. Neither ceiling our success, nor cap our growth, Eminem. But also you, Tadpole, for all of the tads out there that place their boat on the throat of a peon treading saltwater, you should make things not only easy for people to get ahead, as long as you've recognized that they're talented and they have a specific skill set, like William Neeson and Taken. You should also make the throne that we are ultimately aspiring to look presentable and look respectable and look like a warm inviting place if people ask you how much you like being a manager and you say it's a job well guess what why the f stars would anyone want just it's a job when they spent 11 plus years or perhaps all the way into the golden years aspiring to be that you want it to be a life-changing experience you want it to be not just a job but an f stars adventure that's what you want now when it comes to courtesy professional courtesy professional discourtesy I'm reminded of Jack Nicholson as Nathan R. Jessup from that great legal military drama, A Few Good Men. Colonel Jessup talking to Tom Cruise. Take caution in your tone, Commander. I'm a fair guy, but this effing heat is making me absolutely crazy. I want you to stand there in your F-stars white uniform and with your Harvard mouth extend me some effing courtesy. Oh, Jack Nicholson, one of my favorites. Courtesy. Even if you don't like the person, be professional and extend courtesy. If you're all in theory participating in this seven deadly synergy of synergy, then at least act the part and work together. Work as a cohesive unit moving forward, accomplishing your objectives. But don't push the peons down because you're afraid that they're going to encroach on your livelihood, because that also means that maybe you suck as a middle manager. Maybe you need to be removed. Maybe that big Kurt Pull needs to come on stage and yank you, exit stage left, mofo. But if you're doing your, your good work and a good job, you don't need to worry about people rising and then taking your position. You should be elevating them so that you can actually work among people that are talented and that are top quality people who have good personalities to boot. We don't need the grandmas. We don't need the frecks. We don't need the camos. I was truly hoping that they would have been weeded out by now just from attrition or people would finally realize how dumb they are. But no, 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 no such luck. Just because you're Irish doesn't mean you have the luck of the Irish. Courtesy. You know when it feels professional and when they are extending you a discourtesy. You know the difference, dear listeners. Personal nugget time. This is really just going to be some of my thoughts spilled out to you. It is tough dealing with paradoxes. For example, the credit card company that demands you have a history of stellar credit, but fails to let you start your credit journey. They fail to take a chance on you. Well, then how are you ever going to build that credit that you're asking for? Take a chance. Podcasting is tough. On the one hand, I want to get my words tutelage, and experiences out into the existential ether so badly, but it is challenging. I confess to you, I am operating from the undesirable position of bottom of the hill. Some days I feel I came into the podcasting community too late, when it had already transformed from novel to necrotic. This podcasting business has been going on a long time. I wish I had come in sooner. I had to talk myself out of that, though. I find that most podcast discussion topics ranging from true crime to paranormal investigation. These can be distracting, healthy escapism, even pulse-pounding with excitement or relaxation-inducing. But to me, the value that these particular podcasts add is slight. They do not contend with the day-to-day real-world struggles. It is more fantasy-based or history-driven. These entertain, to be sure, sometimes inform. But how do you transform an episode about the ghost-rich relic of the Mary Celeste, or a desultory sighting of the abominable effing snowman, Into something practical, and lifestyle applicable, or in the vein of the Rogan experience, every F-Stars day he's got some scientist, philosopher, self-help guru, actor, or sports celebrity. I do not have access to a litany of media personalities. I didn't spend 30 years of my life building those connections. I also run chemo hawk sessions alone. I have no editor. I have no sound technician. I use no researcher who is splicing and viewfinding the microfiche microfilm. (laughs) For those of you who remember that shiz, I do, however, find more satisfaction in cranking out these doses of chemohawk than I ever did at the WCC. I am offering knowledge on how to show restraint, remain cautious at your WCC, curtail judgment both at work and in life, keep in check and retard rage while using my own personal accounts, observations, and my own errors in judgment to accomplish this task, and to fulfill my quest. This podcasting solo for you, Podience, proves challenging, but rewarding. We have quite a relationship. I feel rather comfortable opening up. Like a Venus flytrap embracing the taste of a new winged victim. As far as Venus flytrap, I remember when Vic Mackey from that great show The Shield referred to one of Shane's toxic suitor strippers as a penis flytrap. Ah, (laughs) The Shield. For any of you who have not enjoyed seven seasons of The Shield, it is available on Hulu. If you want to remain bored at your WCC and in life without the shocking revelations of The Shield, so be it. But I steer you correct at work. I steer you correct outside of work. And The Shield got me through many a dark F-Stars day. Unwind with me, The Daily Grind. And if you have fallen behind on these sessions, grind them out and listen well. But do not fall into the spell of the WCC Daily Grind for that is a Venus, genus, penis flytrap of wicked proportions. I will not whet your audible appetite for the next episode just yet, I know, but it may very well include a guest speaker. I may just gift you a brief teaser, as unlike that man in the Lex Luthor quote to Clark Kent in Smallville, I once read about a rich man who survived a hotel fire. He hung onto the ledge for an hour before the fire department rescued him. Afterwards, he bought the hotel, always stayed in the room, When they asked him why, he said he figured fate couldn't find him twice. I will not leave you hanging, dear listeners. We exist in a very benevolent back and forth, and there is no me without you. Work hard, but hardly care. Leave your computer. Breathe fresh f-stars air. P.S. Procrastinated statement. The number 30, as we discussed at this episode's Gambit, mentioned giving enthusiasm for another artist's work. In college, I was in a poetry class, and the assignment was to write a poem about an animal. Your favorite animal, what have you. This tall gal. I mean, she could have been an Amazonian extra in those Wonder Woman films. When she wears heels, her nose bleeds. I think her hair flapping in the wind has been mistaken for at least one flock gaggle of F-Star's geese. She wrote a painful poem about a snake, which was clearly a metaphor for a first love who ripped her organs out. You slithered into my heart and coiled around just to crush it. Something like that. I was so F-Star's impressed. I know I told her after class how impressed I was, but I left it at that. I regret not making more of an effort to be her friend, a tortured artist, an incisive, piercing poem about love lost, shiz. I hope she did not poison herself, Romeo and Juliet style, ick. Be well, audience. Balsetto out.